0: So one of the things that we also do is we live here. And so we also take care of the grounds outside. And so I was doing some... Uh, I was doing some maintenance and then removing some weeds. Which I've been very careful. And only doing it after it rained. But then somebody did something not so nice over there. So I had to figure out what to do with that. And then there was this area I had not done with uh, weeding. So I was like, I'll just take this part along the church... That will be great. But there was one, one, one weed just by the shed. Just one. So I, so I was like, that one has to die. <laughs> but uh, in doing that, I saw, as I was out there, I saw, hey, there's smoke coming out. Hmm, I'll go get some water and I'll put water on and i managed to get the smoke to appear, uh, disappear. And I was also annoyed because somebody was parked a car in front of the church from some company and they just, okay, so I was a little bit annoyed about everything and I kinda had to get back in and prepare for the sermon. So I was like, okay, it's gonna be a no problem. I'm just gonna give grace to that guy out there and I'll wait and I'll come back down to make sure that whole thing's not burning as I was deep in prayer and thought and frustration about not being able to do my sermon, all of a, all of a sudden Lilian and Sadie comes running up and they're like, it smells like smoke in the church. And we can see like there's, we can see like a lot of smoke coming out of the thing <laughs> that woke me up, <laughs> I run downstairs. I, uh, there's a room right in there that's always full of a lot of stuff. I would say I had almost superhuman strength I just took all that stuff and just threw it to the side pulled out the water hose and then ran out there and started spraying everything down but my I still had the same problem I could not get to the place because I didn't have the key to the shed so we were still just I was still just kind of watering the whole thing. And then Kailin come, finally comes back. She's out there. Please, please come and open. So I open the thing. It's like full of smoke in there. And I, I don't even know where it's where the fire's from. Because I at any no point saw any fire. So we're just like spraying everything. And then they see that it, underneath, uh, just by down here, there must have been a hole and in that hole in that board, some uh, embers must have gone into the wood, and they just kept being in there. Although I thought I had to shut them off, they were still in there. And so after an hour, an hour and a half, the whole thing was full of smoke. So praise the Lord, the kids came up. And then you might was like, what has that to do with the s- sermon? And that's such a good answer. That's such a good question to ask. because in acts and i've used this a long time ago uh, in, in in acts we see how from the time that the holy spirit falls on the uh, on the apostles the gospel starts spreading like a fire but we also seen we've also seen with paul that somebody keeps trying to stamp out the fire we see it in Paul's persecutions. We see like now we stamp well stamp out the fire, stamp out the fire, stamp out the fire. And so the evil one and the opposition oppose opposes of of Paul, they keep persecuting him, beating him, keep beating him, put putting him in jail, thinking that the fire has gone out. The only thing that did was it spread the embers more. Because um can you uh, take this? Oh, I have, the, I have control. I have control. Uh, oh, sorry. There's a long way. There. Because we see in this whole area here, that's where all the embers spread. That's where all the fire was. But they were trying to stamp it out, but it did not work. The devil was trying to stop Jesus from doing his ministry this is just the devil was trying to stop the apostles and also uh, Paul, but it happened that it kept spreading throughout this whole place. So I kind—I <laughs> kind of title it: "The Journey to Rome Starts and the Fire Keeps Spreading," because when you're gonna see, we're going to see—we're going to see, um, as we saw last week, it seems like a pretty hopeless situation, actually. Um, and this is just like this is small okay. but in the in what we're going to read Paul is going to be taken by night up to here and then he's going to be brought to Caesarea. so he, right now he's in Jerusalem in custody of the Romans because the Jews were going to kill him um, and then they are, he, we hear about this plot and so Jerusalem is a Jewish center but the Roman center of the region is here so that's where they have the military garrison so they take him up there to have him keep for safe keep him for safe Steve because Paul is a Roman citizen so they keep him there getting a little bit ahead of myself but let's read first Uh, and this is actually from last week I just wanted to read this one again because as Paul was being thrown in jail the Lord Jesus comes to him by night and he says take courage for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem you must also testify in Rome. The comfort that I'm with you even here in the jail and what I've said to you will happen you will go to Rome. But he's still in prison (laughs) and now and now the thing now the now the Well it's not gonna look a lot better. (laughs) Let's just say that. But if you grab your Bibles and you turn to twenty three twelve, then we read twenty three twelve through twenty four twenty three. So we start with Oh oh you can fill yeah okay that's good. When it was day the Jews made a plot and bound themselves together by an oath to eat to eat, nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and to the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves to an oath to taste no mood, to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of this ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and was going aside, as, as I had asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? and he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 men for more more than 40 of their men are lying in an ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor to drink till they have killed him and now now they are ready waiting for your consent so the tribune dismissed the young man charging him to tell no one that you have informed me of these things then he called two of the centurions and said get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as caesarea and at the third hour of the night also provide mountains for paul to ride and bring him safely to felix the governor and he wrote a letter to this effect Claudius Lydius, to his excellency, the governor Felix Greeks, This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. When I came upon them with the soldiers of and rescued him, um, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge to which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council and found that it was, uh, I found he was being accused about the law, about charged but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment and when it was discovered to me that he would there would be a plot against him i sent him to you at once ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him so the soldiers according to their instruction took paul and brought him by night to antipas and on the next day they returned to their barracks Letting the horsemen go on with him while they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Caesarea, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Oh, sorry. There's a little more. And after five days, the highest priest, Ananias, came, and some elders and a spokesman and one Tullius and they laid before the governor in their case against Paul. And when they began, and when he'd been summoned, Tullius began accusing him, saying, Since you, since through you, we, uh, sorry, since the through you, we have enjoyed much peace, and, and since you, by foresight, most excellent, fearless, reforms has been made for this nation. In every way and in every where we accept this with all gratitude. But to, to detain you no further, I beg you, in your kindness, to hear us briefly for we found this man a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the whole world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes he even tried to profane the temple but we seized him by examining him yourself you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him then the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over the nation, I cheerfully make my dispense. You can verify that there's noth- it's not more than 12 days since I went to worship in Jerusalem. I did not... And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way to which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and of the unjust. So I always take the pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nations and to present an offering. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they should be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lydias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and have none, not not none, (laughs) and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so so, so i know it's a long narrative uh, and so maybe a little bit of a long uh, a long scripture reading for today Uh, but we kind of have to have that to frame what is going on here Uh, so we last week uh, paul was accused in the council and i we talked a lot about the power of the resurrection what's so important about jesus's resurrection and he also brings that point up again and it's, uh, we see these uh, great con- contrasts. Um, uh, we, we 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 see after after the council, uh, well, after the tumult in the council caused by the Jews being the Sadducees and the Pharisees starting a big fight, Paul is taken out and saved by the Romans again, the evil Romans, but they're the ones that preserve his life again then the next day uh, some people very zealous uh, um, 40 of them they come together and form an alliance and, uh, and they commit to an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed Paul well if we know the story they will end up quite thin and very dehydrated because he's not going to die, um, and but it would, it would, uh, we would have to, we would have to consider again why all this hate against Paul. Most of these people would have known very, very little about Paul, because he's been gone for years, and the last time he was there, he was educated, and a, a strict Pharisee. I mean, okay, so the Sadducees. Sadducees would, well, the Sadducees would probably not like him because they don't believe in the resurrection. So, okay. Um, but what is, again? It's like looking in Acts when we see these rulers. So last week we learned about Ananias, like he's a terrible guy, like probably the worst high priest ever. And then now he's going to go to Felix, and he's also known as like a ruthless, terrible guy, and get ac- actually gets removed for using too much violence and ki- killing too many people, so like the people around paul like paul looks like he is like he's a fantastic guy <laughs> like they're the people are ruthless killers and bribers and and like so what are these four people what are these four pe- forty people? Why all that hate? Is it, are they motivated by greed? Or are they trying to influence the, the, are they trying to influence the, the council? Or are they trying to be on good terms with the elders and, the, and the, um, the high priests? Are they mimicking the high priest? Is this caused by the evil and trying to stamp out the gospel? Are they really motivated by themselves? And what a silly plan I was just reminded there's one scripture you know from from first Samuel where um, it's about uh, the other Saul the first Saul the first king he's pursuing the Philistines and he tells his soldiers not to eat anything but his son he doesn't hear it and he dips his staff in honey and he like revives and he's got all this energy you but uh, his father actually like, said that he should die because he did that. And his son is just like, said, this is a dumb commandment. Like you can see how strong I am. How we would have defeated these people. Maybe they don't remember that story. Uh, but, <clears throat> but it's, uh, again, like why this, why this massive hate from Paul? And then just a a stennis says, we we come here. I'm always trying to encourage you, but we have to remember the encouragement. In encouragement, there's two sides. There's the encouragement, hey, good job. And then there's like, hey, eh, eh. The one called rebuke, so stop doing that. So there's both, keep doing that. And then there's like, ah, stop doing that. So a question to ask ourselves on the stop doing that part like the ideas I have when I decide to speak or even to commit to a promise are they true? are they glorifying God? is my motivation actually to trick people or just get people to do what I want them to do? or am I even trying to prove myself in front of other people? Maybe like in a Christian way. I want to be the best Christian mom. I want to be the best ch- Christian father. I want to be the best son, whatever. Well, what is our motivations when we open up our mouth? And there's like, I think there's so much like where we can ask. Who's parking in front of the church? It's casting. What is she doing? Oh, they're coming back. Sorry. Um. So, like, when we open our mouth, whether to give a promise, commit ourselves to something, or just speak anything, what's our heart's motives? Is it just to be right? Is it to gain something? Or is it to make sure I'm speaking the truth and love and actually glorifying God with my words? And if hate arises in my heart, where does that come from? are my choices based my, is my is my choices and what i say are they based on the apostles teaching on jesus's teaching that we find in the bible and why would this question even trouble us or maybe some of us could it be that we focus so much on how things affect us that it's hard not to get influenced by the things that happen around us. At the fall, when everything fell into sin, and this is from Lee, used in a commentary a long time ago, I just thought it's such a good understanding of what sin is, that before sin came in, we, we all as humans, well, Adam and Eve, saw everything as God saw everything was about who God was, so everything related to God. In the fall, it breaks, and everything becomes how I relate to everything. And so we just don't have a right view in our natural self to see how things are supposed to be really. And maybe that's why it can be even hard for us who want to speak the truth, to not sometimes just say it in a way so I get my way or come off as more than I am. Now the, the, now back to the story. The, the problem with this conspiracy is that it, it, it does involve 40 men, but they don't act on their own. They actually go to the chief priests and the elders. So they're, they're compromising the whole system. The whole Sanhedrin now seems to be compromised in this plot to kill Paul. It is a little bit strange because last week they were fighting so hard they couldn't agree. And and apparently unless they just didn't ask all the Pharisees then something seemed to have happened. But they are asking the ones who are supposed to protect the nation uphold the law they're asking them to conspire to commit murder. To break the law that they say they are so zealous about. As this is going on, the first and last time we hear anything about Paul's family, apparently he has a sister, nobody knows anything about her, but she has a son. And so whether he's in school, at the temple or something, he hears about this plot. He goes to the, he goes to the barracks and says and explains it to Paul, and Paul gets the, gets the centurion and the, and, and the whole thing we read. Again... The evil Romans saved Paul's life. All right. The occupiers, the ones that will be obviously the ones that we should rule against, against save Paul. He takes... The the Tribune actually takes... What I thought is... A, he takes a lot of resources. We heard about the many, many men... And he calls the people together and say, go at tonight, tonight go with all these men, go to Caesarea. Um, and so they ride out a bunch of them to this halfway point, then they sell, sell the 200 soldiers back and the horses just go, they go on to Caesarea. So Paul is rescued, he's not killed. But now he's sitting in another prison. and that's why i read the verse again like i read that verse again <laughs> like take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in in Jerusalem you must testify also in Rome because how discouraging would that be <laughs> that now he's just in another prison waiting for a new trial that would come 5 days after and just reflecting on that part I, i've heard some people Maybe you have said it yourself, but I'm living the life, but am I not, I'm living, I'm doing the will of God, I'm living the way he wants me to live, so why am I in person, Paul could say, or you might say, well, why why aren't things going the way I want them to go? I mean, we see in the story, we see Paul seems to be very close to God and only decided to want to follow him. But his life was marked by suffering and hardships. And it seems like we've forgotten where our faith came from. We see how Christ suffered. We see how the disciples suffer. But somehow we get mad or frustrated when God doesn't do the things that we want him to do. Uh, The Christian life is not one without suffering. Jesus actually promises suffering will come if we live for him. But he also says, I'll be with you. So the good news is not that there will be no suffering the good news is that Christ will be there in our suffering and that joy even can be found in the prison the joy can be found even in the suffering the question for us is do we actually believe that not just up here but when the suffering comes to us Paul's accusers—they come down from Jerusalem, and, and I, I already said it, the stuff about Ananias, the most corrupt, most all-violent guy comes. But this time they brought a different person. He's called Telus. He's a—some people say lawyer. Or like He's more of an orator, so he would be able to pray. He would be able to present a nice or oral presentation of the acu- accusations they have against. So so it's gonna I mean, be a good presentation in front of this council. And it it might be done in the it might have been done in Latin, it might have been done in Greek. So they bring this presenter guy and he just got he gives it all he has. <laughs> first the first many lines it's just like, Oh you are so amazing <laughs> And there are all the conferences like he is a big fat liar. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the the time the time under the time under this governor has been terrible. There's rampant like there's these bands of people killing people with knives and there's no control. Everything is like kind of really bad. So all the things that he says here seems to be total flattery with no with no real like it's not true. <laughs> it's just a smooth tongue. So, so he puts up these accusations against Paul like he's a plague he's a troublemaker he stirs up riots among all the Jews in the world and he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes and he was trying to profane the temple and And we've gone through all those things and said already seen that is not true like all the people stirring up ju- riots are the Jews in every place it was the Jews stirring up riots not Paul um, he himself he uh, himself Oh, I yeah, will get to that. But he's, he refutes all of these things because they're not true, except one of them is true. Paul, he uh, he actually appreciates, he's not full of flattery, he just appreciates that Felix has been there for six years. So he actually knows what they're talking about. Felix, I think we talked about it before, Felix is a favorite, well, one of the Roman emperors. He's actually... Could have been an orphan and a slave, then he's actually elevated through that family, and he is actually put in charge of this region. So he comes actually from, he has actually been a slave before, so he's a freed man, a freed slave. So he came from the very bottom, and got up to be a governor of a region, known to be extremely violent and different other things. But that that's, yeah, that's also part of it. But he has been. He knows about he knows about Jewish customs, and that's what Paul is saying. He knows about, uh, and as we're going to hear later, he actually knows a lot about the Christians as well. He knows accurately about the way it's said. Paul says, "I've I've been in I've just been in Jerusalem twelve days. They found me disputing with no one, stirring up no crowd." Uh, so all those things aren't uh, just, they're not true. They're, they don't have any proof at all of anything what they're saying. I will confess that I follow the way. And he explains it. I follow and worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in this law written in the prophets. My hope is in God, like these people, that there will be a resurrection of the dead of both the unjust and the just. And then Paul in 16 says, I strive to live with a good conscience before God and men, saying, I'm not here lying. These things are true. I am not rejecting Jewish culture. I am not rejecting the law. I believe in the fulfillment of the law. That Jesus Christ came and he, through his resurrection, has proven that that resurrection will come. That's who I'm following. And Paul even more comes, like, because if they're trying to make him out to be a bad guy, then the next sentence is like, Paul comes and he has collected, as we know, he's collected aid from all the churches to give to the poor. Okay, these people say I'm evil. Well, we have collected money to give to the poor that's suffering from suffering from the famine and i came also to bring my offerings because i haven't been here in a long time and there was no crowd no tumult but then some jews from asia they're the ones that should be here to accuse me they're the ones that stirred up the riot if they have any problem, they should be here accusing. Some commentator says this because they were wimps that they didn't come. But, uh, and then he, said, and he, he brings out this great point in the end. He says, like, and let just a few days when I was in the council, none of you, none of you found any fault with me other than I believe in the resurrection. I've just been on trial with you guys not that long, and none of you can condemn me. Except I believe in the resurrection. Then something, then something kind of odd happens. But I guess maybe not too odd. Uh, Because Felix doesn't make a judgment, but it does seem like he doesn't really trust it seems like he has a bad taste in his mouth from Tertullius and that presentation. He doesn't really believe what they're saying because he doesn't doesn't consent to sentence Paul. But then again, he doesn't free Paul either because maybe he doesn't want to make them too mad. So what do you do when you don't know? Then you kind of postpone. Oh, I'll postpone until Lucius comes. And the interesting thing is he actually knows, like we I just said before, he knows more accurately about what the way is about. He's not a follower of Jesus, but he knows what it's about. So this becomes a political decision. Not wanting to upset the one people, not condemning the other, because probably he yeah, really does probably he hasn't really done anything wrong. And most of all, Felix probably doesn't really care. He's more interested in having a, 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 what he doesn't have, a province that's like nice and people aren't killing each other all the time. He wouldn't be questioned by Rome all the time why things are, why one ride after another is there. So Paul's kept in custody, but we also see we also see that Phileas isn't too hot on him. He's just like, well, your friends can come and they can visit and they can bring you food and they can do different things. So as we're looking at this narrative in Acts and as we've seen, and back to the whole fire and burning down buildings, um, or. Thank the Lord it didn't burn down. But looking at the fire that the Holy Spirit started on Pentecost, all the times it's been trying to be stamped out, it doesn't work. It actually just spreads. And it spread all the way here. We're here two, 2,000 years later in Denmark, which is pretty far from Jerusalem. And I'm presenting you, to you the words of Jesus and the words of Paul. The fire did not die out at all. It just spread. Spread to the whole world. The the hope of the resurrection that hope Paul had in Jesus just keeps spreading. The gospel of God's grace, the way we can be redeemed and saved from our sin and shame, selfishness, the schemes of the devil and the evil one, we're confronted here with two different things. Are we more like Totelius and and the council? Is that how we are living our lives? Greedy, corrupt, a hunt for power? Are we living more like Paul, like Pouring out his life. Look, looking at himself in the mirror in the morning. I want to live with a good conscience towards men. I'll tell you the truth. I'll speak the truth in love. And I'll do the same with God. Living in a good conscience. So do we hope in ourselves or is our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? The King of kings, the Lord of hosts the one who was raised from the dead as he said he would. And he also said that he would lay down his life and take it back up again. If we believe that we're saved and we're free, you tell kids when they are small, don't play with fire. You might pee in your pants or something. And be careful. And also, just this, this is from personal experience: if you burn weeds, be very careful. Or you might burn down, burn down something like that shed or the which also happened one time. But it was me. But the fire of the God, but, but the fire of God, the gospel if you are a believer, is in you. And you need to fan it into flame. You meant to fan it into flame through prayer, through worship, through praying for one another, that this flame will not go out. And so maybe you today you say, well, I mean, my faith is just, like it's, I'm not excited about it at all. It's just a little, you know, it's just this much left that much left burned down that thing (laughs) so if you have just this much breathe on it breathe on it through worship through prayer ask people to pray for you continue to testify hear testimonies that the Lord would fan into flame the love you have for Jesus Christ And that will be contagious and spread to the people around you. Not like a devouring fire, but one that would cleanse, and the one that would encourage, and the one that would bring true life. The one, as Kalim was saying, the one where if we just believe in him, we become his children. and and some of you know this you know that feeling you know that feeling when jesus when you saw what jesus did for you you remember that passion you remember that burning sensation you remember you wanted to tell people you remember it changed your whole life as jesus says in the revelation to one of the churches remember your first love fan that stuff into flame again. And Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us do that. And Lord Jesus, you know where we are. We know that we sometimes we get scared, we get confused, we get distracted. So Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us to fan in the flame our passion for your name. And we ask that you open our eyes to see the people that don't know you yet, Jesus, that you open up their eyes to see. Holy Spirit, that you are convicting and opening up people's eyes. That they might turn from their own way into you and to experience that salvation, the new life in you. So that we pray for great joy and love for you, Jesus. And that you will give much praise and glory in our lives. And we thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you for all you do. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to ignite the fire of the church. And thank you that it has never gone out since. But it's spread and spread. And Lord Jesus, we are asking you to continue to do that in and through us. Lord, I pray for each of us where we just think there's only like embers left. Will you come and blow them to ignite the fire again? And Lord, we turn from our own self to you, Jesus, and rejoice in the beauty of your name well, the joy of you would be our strength, God. And Lord, I ask that you would, just, you would make our faith so strong and so focused on you, Jesus, and your glory, that even when trials come, and they will, we will still have joy as you are with us in them. May we see how close and near you are to Paul right there and continue to pursue what you have laid down in your scriptures for us. May you bless us. And keep us as you ask us to walk in that way. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So you may rise and we'll have the benediction together. Oh, oh. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. So you are welcome to...